drive-by cinema. Three nachos and a foaming thermos of fun. Hello and welcome. Season 3, episode 33 of Drive-By Cinema. Ooh, yeah, whoopee, yeah. With me, Rick, and my co-host, Paul. He's also my co-host, Rick. With his co-host, Paul. This is the podcast where we watch movies so you don't have to. And you certainly don't have to. And, Paul. <laughs> we normally start with corrections and omissions. Yeah, I we think. normally witter on about these things forever and ever. But I think we're, we're correction and uh, omission free, aren't we? I think everything checks out. I think everything's ticked off. Something, something on the dial. What's that phrase for on the dial? Nine by nine on the dial. Nine by nine on the dial. I have no idea what it means, but I feel the need to say it. Coming through clean and green, nine by nine on the dials. Yeah, uh, it's radio terminology, isn't it? Oh, I think. Okay. Hey, Paul, Bye, bygone, bygone technology. This week, I asked yeah. you, yeah. yeah, to have a look at what I think is possibly the most exciting content creator on the internet, a guy called Bob Bobby Fingers. Bobby Fingers. Did you look at all of those three videos that he's got out? He's only got three so far that I've seen. He has only got three. Uh, he's the creator of a very detailed and very lovely crafted diorama. So the first one he did was of Mel Gibson. Mel Gibson, yeah. His famous, infamous uh, arrest. In the Hollywood Hills somewhere, I guess, uh, there or thereabouts, uh, late night, DUI. Not having knocked anything down, I don't think. Uh, but uh, when he was arrested, he famously uh, sort of uh, cursed, cussed at the police officer, including a vehement stream of uh, racist anti-Jewish rhetoric. Bobby Fingers produces a beautifully detailed diorama <laughs> of this scene. It was all the rage, though, wasn't it? Jean-Paul Gaultier did the same sort of thing, didn't he? No, not Jean-Paul Gaultier. Something Galliano, the British designer. John Galliano did a similar kind of thing when he got drunk in a French, in a French bois de nuit, didn't he? A what? A bois de nuit? What's that? A drink? A night, night drink? Night, a nightclub. Okay. Anyway. One of the many amazing things about Bobby Finger's videos is that at the end of each one, he takes his lovingly crafted diorama, uh -huh. seals it up in a box and buries it somewhere. Looks like County Sligo to me. Tells you that there are clues to its location in the video. And says if you can find it, it's yours. Now, not to compare anything with anything, but who's the uh, guy who does reviews of like com old computer consoles on his sofa? Ashens. Ashen, ex-psychologist, okay. There's a touch of the Ashens about this, although this is not, this is very deliberate uh, sort of uh, streaming and YouTube making. And there's a touch of Atomic Shrimp uh, who cooks meals with his podgy fingers. Like, it's very intimate, isn't it? There's an intimacy to those two people, how they do their YouTube. Uh, and a chattiness, and a, a genuineness. But here, he's also, like, crafting stuff to a ridiculous level. And kind of working in this very uh, sardonic narrative about what he's doing. So, yeah. It's myth-making on a grand scale. Hmm. His second episode is creating... <laughs> A diorama of Steven Seagal being, what's the word, judo thrown by a fellow stuntman or another stuntman. stuntman if there were dogs, it would be one dog correcting the other dog. Being corrected. Well put, yes. Yeah. When they snarl at each other's necks. The myth about this incident was that uh, he shat or pissed himself. But this was apparently not true. Uh, apparently he, just, he was just thrown to the ground. <laughs> Um, but anyway, it's a fabulous investigation into the incident as well as an amazing diorama. He seeks out credible re uh, sources uh, to actually get what he thinks is the most likely story. Yeah. And he also pixelates uh, one of his background characters because he's a stunt artist whose face doesn't want to be shown. So his actual little uh, model is is a pixelated stunt artist. I'm intrigued how he uses old and new technologies to do his uh, to make his moulds and that kind of thing. There's some old old school kind of skills in terms of you know putting silicone like he has he, he takes a silicone mold of uh, the front and back of his uh, I think it's Steven Seagal that he does that way uh, but he has to do it both sides in the in the silicone and sort of mm. has to has to prevent the silicone sticking to itself kind of stuff so there's lots of old world and old school techniques but also 
he also employs 3D printers uh, a lot of the time too. So it's interesting how he kind of hones his craft to to uh, move from the old to the new and back again. But the third video, which is I'm by seen. far my... What? You haven't uh, seen it? No. Oh my God. You said watch them religiously. Don't half-ass them like you normally do, which I thought was incredibly rude of you, Richard. Uh, and... <laughs> uh, and so I watched two of them, and I didn't receive instructions to watch the third. So they, I did. Uh, I sent you instructions. Oh, well, actually, probably haughty and dismissive instructions. Yeah. Uh, to be honest, I thought you might have picked up by now that there was another one to watch and gone off and watched it. Yeah, you said half an hour, and it was already an hour because I watched two of them. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Go. I'm gonna have to say no more. Then I'm gonna have to wait until you've seen what I think is possibly the, one of the best YouTube videos I've ever seen. Wow. Which is his diorama of Michael Jackson having his hair set on fire during the making of a Pepsi commercial. <laughs> yeah, but I'm also, I'm also suggesting because you used those, I'm saying there's been a lot of incidents this year. There has, hasn't make, there? Yeah, that would yeah. make, what's he called? Bobby Fingers? Bobby Fingers moments. Yeah. Paul, you're a TikToker, aren't you? Because the British government have now said that they're not allowed to use TikTok because it's Chinese. Mm-hmm. So you're happy to use it. You don't mind. It can access my other apps. Uh, I don't know if it can read my emails, but it probably can. It can. Why would it want to? It can geolocate me at all times. These are the permissions you've freely given away just so you can watch people. Well, what are you watching on TikTok that's so important to you that you would. A lot of ChatGPT. What? Uh, a lot of ChatGPT sort He's of. He's on TikTok. Oh, yeah. TikTok is just wild with ChatGPT. Uh, but mostly, you know, for little programming uh, snippets and that kind of thing. Programming snippets? You get those yeah. from TikTok? Yeah, 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 yeah. See, I was... Okay, Paul, since you're a TikToker, if I say if I say this to you, let's see if this provokes a response. I'm at the Pizza Hut. I'm at the, I'm Taco, at the Taco, Bell. Taco Bell. I'm at the combination Pizza, <laughs> pizza Hut. Pizza Hut and Taco Bell. <laughs> yeah, I mean, those things only last for maybe three or four months. But I saw, like, a compilation of hundreds of those. Like, loads and loads of them. Well, I think there were maybe over a million made of them, so... Just to explain what this is, there was a rap song done by a group, I think they're called Das Racist. I've heard or read an interview with them where they said they just wanted to do a song that was just the same thing repeated over and over. Yeah. And so their song is, I'm at the Pizza Hut, I'm at the Taco Bell, I'm at the Combination Pizza Hut and Taco Bell. Oh, Interesting backstory to how that whole thing came about, combination of pizza and tech, but we'll get there in a sec. Oh. Well, they do exist, don't they? they are, there are co-locations mm-hmm. that have both in Anyway, I'm sure you'll tell me all about it. So on TikTok, a load of kids have taken this idea and run with it. And what they do is they, they repeat those lyrics and... And celebrate their biraciality. Yeah, exactly. They'll, they'll bring up traits of their mother... I'm at the Pizza Hut, and they'll say, like, you know, mum's hair is blonde. I'm at the Taco Bell, you know, dad's hair is brown. I'm at the combination Pizza Hut and Taco Bell. And then they'll show what their hair colour is. So it's a new way of communicating. Well, it's not really. It's kind of like a very kind irony, isn't it? It's like irony without the edge. So they're talking on a meta level, aren't they, really? And the other thing is the backbone of evolution of TikTok, as I said before, is audio. So the you evolve, uh, you link your video to their video by linking the audio tag, you see. So fascinating DNA. I think it's part of what makes TikTok so, so, so sort of viral, is that you create off the back of audio, not off the back of someone's video. Of course, you can duet. Uh, TikTok, the creator's side, has a duet where you just... Import the original video, press duet, and you can react to the, you know, the video on your side of the camera pointing at various points of what they're saying. Kind of stuff. So it's all made for really fast production and fast editing, which is a good thing. thing is about this meme that they've got going mm-hmm. is a lot of the traits that they bring up are not things that are actually heritable or they don't, like, they don't hybridise the way... Oh, well, that's that uh, exactly. The meme has sort of uh, evolved. Originally, it was uh, there was a standard set of graphics. There were flags on top, and you kind of pointed, and of course, there's skill there because you've got to point the opposite way to what you're looking because there's no flip when you're creating <laughs> on TikTok. So there's a skill there pointing, and of course, the girls have to point with that weird kind of like long-fingered, kind of like weird, it's a Kardashian way of pointing. Yeah, but uh, but flags by flags you mean nationality? Nationalities, yeah. Then but there's eye colour. Hold on, but nationalities don't hybridise. 
Wait you a minute. Well, I'm just saying what the young children are doing. Then there's <laughs> eye colours. You've got to point to those. Usually cross one. Then and again. Like, then you've got to gesture I... to yourself, and then you've got to point down cross to your height, and it's usually height that's at the bottom. But uh, eye colour doesn't hybridise like that either. Like blue no, is a recessive dominant gene. recessive, yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And a height isn't just like a, a, a mergement of two heights, is it? Mm. In fact, you get regression to the mean, don't you? If you've got two really tall parents, you're more likely to be like... Absolutely correct, yeah. yeah. More of average yeah. height. Yeah. And then I've seen one... That doesn't mean bl- you should breed with somebody stupid on purpose to make yourself cleverer, though. <laughs> to make your oh. children clever. <laughs> it doesn't follow the other way, does it? <laughs> it does not follow the other way. Why? Is that a mistake you've been making? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, but but I've seen ones also with blood groups, like blood types, type yeah, A. Yeah, that's an Asian thing. Uh, lots of beliefs around blood groups in Asia, which we're not going to get into because it's just it's it's like it's like horoscopes over here. And I've seen it with horoscopes. Obviously, that is there not heritable either. Okay, there we go. Well, it is for those people that believe in horoscopes. <laughs> we, look, your not, truth, heritable. Your truth is your truth. Their truth is their truth. <laughs> I say live and let live. If they know how to forage for food. Right, okay. So, uh, so yeah, back to combination pizza or Taco Bell KFC. The reason is in the 70s, uh, was Pope, was Pope, was Pepsi competitive with Coke? No, it wasn't. No. Okay. Was it? Oh. Say what? So, what did Pepsi do? Well, they had the, uh, they had the, the franchise's supply, uh, I think it was Pizza Hut. And Taco Bell, uh, which they'd they sold. had a combination pizza and Taco Bell. No, well, this was this before combination pizza and Taco Bell. Separately, those two companies they had the concession to supply uh, or the contract to supply uh, beverages to, uh, and of course they insisted on a monopoly because Coke was a bigger, better competitor and had McDonald's at the time, yeah, uh, and still does, I think. Uh, so they offered really good terms to both Pizza Hut and Taco Bell, saying, look, we'll come and supply the Pepsi. But people were getting there, and they wouldn't order the Pepsi. In fact, the tagline was, why don't you just try a Pepsi? <laughs> so they couldn't almost give it away. For sake, for the love of God, try one. <laughs> Please, just try it. Just, you know, just give us a chance, you know. Uh, and people just, you know, we're not drinking it. So Pepsi had an idea. They realized that these two companies were doing well, were valued at very low value. So they bought up the two companies. And then they became part of, is it Yum Yum Foods? I don't know what it's called, the Pepsi side, the, the food side of Pepsi, which has now been flung out, but is still connected to Pepsi. Right, okay, so then they, it was just their product, and they could really force Pepsi on the customers. The franchise holders had to stock Pepsi and only Pepsi, yeah. But in buying these companies, they became short as money as Pepsi. So they said, I know, let's save money, let's put them in a combination Pizza Hut, Taco Bell, KFC. <laughs> it's not rare that you get the KFC there, but you usually get the Taco Bell and Pizza Hut together in the US. Okay, and It was all done to save wages because they weren't competitive with Coca-Cola on a market level. They had to subsidise Pepsi by buying up whole companies. And once they did that, they needed to save money. And that's why they combined the two restaurants together. But when you go into a combination Pizza Hut and Taco Bell, I'm assuming... I never have, but it'd be nice to. Do you... T- <laughs> You, t- you go in through the doors and you turn left to one and right to another. I mean, you're not, I guess so, yeah. They're not intermingled, are they? Is it? No. It's, no. Surely. Because I think part of the fun and humour in the rap song, the original rap song, is that they've like arranged to meet there. Oh, they're, like me- they're messaging each other. Okay. And they don't know which one they're at. I'm at the Pizza Hut. Say what? And they joke the actually about. they could see each other, but it's just... They're like... in the same place, yeah. <laughs> Uh, I think it's time for the music. Not the combination pizza and Taco Bell music, Paul, but your music. Did we say this was episode 33, Richard? I think we did, didn't we? I hope so, because it's episode 33. And we haven't even mentioned what on earth we're reviewing today, so I guess we better say that. We never say so before the music, do we? we? not? No, it's very clever of us. Or annoying. We are reviewing Time Lapse this time. Time Lapse, which isn't one word, it's two. Is it supposed to be two? Anyway. I don't know. Continuing our time travel-esque kind of yes. March theme. Yeah, kind of a mini theme of maybe three or four, maybe five movies, yeah. Uh, with the horror one thrown in the middle for some reason. <laughs> this is from 2014. It's a Canadian it film. I didn't know that. Oh, I'll tell you the clues later. The mid-century ornaments before they were fashionable. Oh, no, I guess they were coming into fashion in 2000. No, it's some words that they use. But it was self-financed by the writers or 
directors no way. Bradley King and BP Cooper self finance this movie. And it's Whoa. certainly it's a movie on a budget, right? It's a time travel movie with no special effects. And it all takes place in a single apartment. Uh, so you can see where the savings have been made here. But, yeah. you know, nonetheless, the ideas are interesting, are they not? Or are they? Let's find out. Yeah, let's find out. Uh, we start off with some uh, millennials, I guess. Mid, mid-aged millennials, like, what, early 30s, would you say? Late 20s? I don't know. They're in an awkward kind of house share situation, aren't they? They are. There's a couple, and there's a hanger-on guy. Desperation has kind of forced them uh, to be strange, strangers bedfellows. They're kind of, not dilettantes, not ne'er-do-wells. I mean, they, they have dreams, and at the same time, they have to financially... Uh, look after themselves so they're doing some sort of house sitting or are they doing the janitorship of the the complex or the housing association they're doing something to pay their way on one of them is an artist that's Finn, Finn. yeah not Finster the, the femboy guy who's recently collabed with Belle Delphine not Huckleberry Finn not Finbar Saunders and his double entendres he's the one who has the girlfriend that is living with him yes and then the other guy the housemate, I wrote down his name as Jordan. Jasper. But it's Jasper, yeah, I got it wrong. Girlfriend is called that. I never actually remember the name. I'm just looking at it in my notes here. Callie. 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 Interestingly, Finn is the artist guy. Yeah. Jasper is his housemate. Jasper is being played by a guy called George Finn. Whoa. Must have been confusing. That is confusing. Finn, apart from being an artist, he mm. also seems to be... Well, they call him at one point the building manager, but it really means he's the handyman. Yeah, he's the handyman janitor, I guess, isn't he? For what? What, the complex of buildings? Yeah, the isn't it? complex of duplexes. It's, yeah, it's not an apartment block, is it? It's it's, it's low-rise... housing association. A housing association development or something, yeah. A neighbourhood is what they call them in the States. But we're in Canada. So. He wants to be a great painter, but he's got painter's block, if that's the thing. God, he's got painter's block. He doesn't know now, I'm told paint. that alcohol is a solution to this, but he doesn't seem to really go for that, does he? Well, your clean-living millennials don't drink as much, do they, these days? It's out of fashion, alcohol. Ah. Uh, Quite rightly. I, I, I had a friend uh, whose father was a rather famous artist. She was what? Swedish. Yeah, she was Swedish. Uh, and I met her. Hang on, what, what nationality was her father? Swedish, too. And what nationality was her mother? Swedish also. And the combination pizza and taco bell, yeah, okay. Okay, uh, and uh, we met in Hong Kong. Say what? Where both of us had done some members of the English Rugby Sevens team in a bar. <laughs> and that's how we met. Right. right. And uh, I'll say no more about that. There can't be that many members of a Rugby Sevens team, no. can there? Uh, they can't. Uh, and not that many that in a bar in Hong Kong. Maybe not so much of an overlap. <laughs> But anyway, that's beside the point. But anyway, we became friends, and it turned out she'd be to university, blah, 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 and I knew some people from there. And, uh, yeah, so her father was a very famous artist, and she said, you know, people think that uh, artists drink to become more creative, and she said that's just simply not the case. You know, when they're managing their mindset with drink, it's not like they're alcoholics, you know, they only do it when they're painting. They're doing it to stop the thoughts. They're doing it to depress their brain. So they don't, they can stop being creative and just get things out. That's why they drink. Which I thought was an interesting observation to stay with me for over 20 years. I, well, it's certainly not what Finn is doing, is it? No. Now, Jasper has another problem related to a problem you have, which is he's a gambler, isn't he? Oh, I thought you were going to say erectile dysfunction. <laughs> yeah. God, my secret's safe. He doesn't seem to have that problem, Paul. No. Oh, he has got very attractive eyes, okay? I can see what happens later, uh, why people might fall for him. Uh, yeah, he's a bit of a rogue, but a lovable rogue, isn't he? But too much of a rogue, as it turns out. Yeah. He's certainly the better looking of the two guys in this. Well, no, I mean, Finn's a definite seven, isn't he? Do you know what I mean? But Jasper is betting on the dogs. He is. In America. Who his latest. I know, it's strange, isn't it? But his latest idea, his scheme, is a crystal ball. That he's going to use to try and tell. <laughs> he's deeply involved with some kind of criminal gambling operation, isn't he? And Jasper, he's not the you know he's not the brightest bulb in the pack, is he? Well, he's buying a crystal ball to try and win. win you know, I don't know how these three have got together, but I mean, you wouldn't say they're, they're 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 natural soulmates, would you? I don't know what Jasper is doing here because only well, I think Kelly is working. Finn seems to be working doing odd jobs. Jasper seems to be a small time dealer, you know. 
Yeah, he's uh, he's really the hanger on. He's also clearly jealous of Finn and Callie's relationship and yeah. mildly put off by their PDAs, isn't he? Mm-hmm. He is. They got a neighbour uh, who I assume is a Greek, Mr. Bezirides, or Bezirides. Played by John Reese davis otherwise known as Gimli from Lord of the Rings. Were. But not actually appearing in the film. Well, kind of. <laughs> Not really, no. You see his corpse, not to give anything away. <laughs> you also see him in a picture, which is clearly John Rhys Davis in, ah. in a picture. He did film scenes, but they were all cut from the movie. I see. I imagine they were superfluous, because we don't seem to be lacking for having scenes with this guy. Uh-huh. The film kind of benefits from some distance from that character, I think. But apparently, this guy is late with his rent... Callie goes to check. She finds a pile of newspapers at the door, tickets all over his car, stuff like that. They go into his place. Presumably they've got keys for maintenance reasons, I don't know. But they they go in, and when they go into his place, they find one wall covered with Polaroid pictures that have been pinned up. Yeah, what was that movie that starred Robin Williams where he's like a creepy film developer? Is that one-hour photo? Yeah. I think we have that on our list, but it sounds like you've seen it. So uh, echoes of that kind of thing. It's like, oh, creepy, you know, taking photos of us across the way. Like, ooh. But they don't really ooh it because the Canadian's not <laughs> statesy and so They look at all these pictures and they see also this enormous machine. Now, you say there's no special effects, but I thought this machine was a work of... It was beautiful. It's a steampunk camera, isn't it? Yeah. It's, it's too big to move. It's fixed to the floor. And the lens is pointing it out through the guy's window... Directly at their living room window. No way. Or lounge window. Finn finds one of the pictures. Obviously, there's lots of pictures then of their lounge, which is a bit intrusive, isn't it? But he finds one with a picture with their hat stand knocked over, leaning against their couch, which is weird. That was last night, man, or something, wasn't it? No, it's not happened yet, Paul. Oh. Oh, he doesn't put two together. No, he can't, because it hasn't happened yet. What we know... And what we come to learn is that this camera is taking pictures, what, 24 hours in advance? 24 hours in advance. Seemingly once a day, but maybe that's not true either, as, it, as we find out later. 8pm every night, the flash goes off, as it were, and they see a picture from their own lounge taken a day in advance. Obviously, the picture that they've just seen was taken last night. It, was, it had come out of the machine. So they go back over to their place, and as they're leaving... Callie knocks over the hat stand, and that must be presumably nearly at 8 p.m. I see. So then they really put two together, two together. Go, wait a minute. This is some sort of freaky, not time machine, but time future recorder. Like, what is going on here? It's like crazy. Well, they're starting to put two and two together. They go back over to review the pick, and as they do, a new pick pops out at about 8 p.m., presumably, mm-hmm. and it's showing a party. And they know that they planned a party, but it's tomorrow. So weird, you know, they're freaked out by it. So what was the name of the Japanese movie we reviewed but two or three weeks ago? Infinite Two Minutes or Two Minutes Beyond Infinity. the Infinite Two Minutes. Which of these was made first? Was it this one? This Time was lapse. 2014. Oh, way earlier, yeah. Okay, so this came first. I'm seeing lots of connections there, really, between these two. Maybe unintentional. They end up being quite different, though, don't they? They do, yeah. Yeah. But once again, we're going to see characters who at least believe they are locked by destiny to exactly repeat what they see mm-hmm. on the picture. We have a discussion about this in this one, don't we? They do. Yeah, well, absolutely, yeah. And we also get the arrival of heavies like we get in the Japanese one. That's also true. Yeah, interesting. Mm. Finn is lining all the pictures up and he's figuring out that they're happening in sequential order and that the party is there for tomorrow. Jasper finds a pic of the guy holding up a sign saying, if you can see this, it's tomorrow. <laughs> Again, it's uh, John Reese davis it's Gimli, uh, saying, if you can see this, it's tomorrow. So, obviously, getting a clue that it is sort of time camera here. Now, when did they go and check his basement? It's not the basement, is it? Because, oh. again, it's all on one level. It's a storage closet Yeah. that presumably all of the houses have their own storage closet. And they go into, I think, his storage closet. And in there... Why do they go in there? 
I think partly they're trying to find clues as to where this guy's gone to. Yeah. He's, he's left his hat, hasn't he? He's left his hat outside, which they pick up. Which Jasper adopts, yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of hat wearing going on in this film, actually. There, there's a lot of fedoras going on. Yeah, let's not forget that hipsterism was still a thing in 2014. 14, yeah, he's a peak hipster. That's right, yeah. Mm-hmm. In his storage closet... Uh, they find a blackened, sort of semi-mummified body lying there. And this is when they make their statement, their assertion, oh, he must have gone against the time, must have fucked with time, and he's been punished. That's right. What they're thinking is he wasn't able to go and do the thing where he's holding the the note up at the camera lens. Mm -hmm. They don't really follow this thought thought through. They say, if we try to step outside what is predestined, if we consciously try to do what we're not doing, then we'll change the future. But that doesn't really follow, does it? Well, they believe that if they attempt to do that, they will be successful. Cause a paradox. There'll be a paradox, and they'll the consequences may be lethal, as they seem to have been for this mm. chap. For but what if we assume that if you decide to do something, then the future we saw would be the future that will result from you deciding to do something different? Why? I don't understand why they think necessarily a paradox will occur because of conscious thought as opposed to unconscious thought. Mm, I see what you're saying. doesn't make sense, does it? They haven't really examined it in their depth. But. Well, they do further, don't they? They, they come back to this point. Hmm. But for most of the film, they slavishly try to recreate what they see on the pictures <laughs> that they view to make sure that they don't fuck anything up. That's so weird, isn't it? That's a, it's a really nice mindfuck that's going on there. All of these time travel films have come back to this central question of of free will, haven't they? Mm. And the fact, the idea that if you know what you're going to do, uh, it's related as well to some other logical philosophical paradoxes like Newcomb's paradox. But, you know, this idea that, you know, with perfect predictive power, yeah. it, it influences your thoughts and your behaviour in very weird and recursive ways that are very difficult to... To, to unpack for most people. Yeah. There's a simpler observation here is that you become what you imagine yourself to be. And, you know, the future you imagine, you kind of define yourself in terms of that. So, you know, it's kind of like self-fulfilling prophecies. That's, so that's the Hegelian idea, isn't it? Yeah. That people become like the what they're predicted to be. The image of their future self. Anyway. He's dead. He's dead. <laughs> in the locker room. He's dead in the locker room. In the lockup, room. yeah. Well, they've got to have this party. They can't cancel because they've seen it on the picture. Uh, and anyway, as Callie points out, it's one of their friends' engagement parties. It's not their party, as it were. They've just yeah. offered a place to have it. All right. Typical millennials. There we go. Very generous. Very couch surfery. Jasper's got a load of pills of different shapes and sizes. In yeah, a box. that was weird. I'm not sure you keep like you, you. I'm not sure you keep your stash of barbiturates next to your stash of Molly, kind of thing. It's in an Altoid tin or something, isn't it? Yeah, it's just random pills. It seems a bit like a Hollywoody. It's possible. It's like a signifier, isn't it, of how, how people might take. Drugs. I don't know. I well, there was like you know, when these people live large like this, you know. Uh, I once knew uh, a guy called Baldy who was uh, driving a Toyota Crown uh, around, what was it, the Philippines when they were a very, very expensive car. And, uh, yeah, he used to carry a little black man bag. In, right. in, in Asia, like, men used, businessmen used to carry a little... Like, it looked like a wash pouch, you know, a men's wash pouch, a black leather wash pouch, but it wasn't okay. just for their wallets and stuff. And it would t- like, a little, like a little handbag, basically, but man-style. Uh, and he dropped it around the lift and it literally, you know, just spilled out like huge amounts of a, just a mixture of all kinds of illegal drugs. <laughs> well, uh, it could have been a hypochondriac or had genuine No, no, problems. no, 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 he wasn't. Oh, okay. I, I, I mean, I know he wasn't because, well, I can't really tell you the story because it's not, it's not publishable. <laughs> Only for Patreon subscribers. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Just, uh, I think I blushed. Uh, that time when I realised that what kind of person he was, because uh, I mean, to all intents and purposes, he was a successful businessman. But there we go. Anyway, so so the party goes on. Jasper's up for partying, and uh, Finn's not feeling it, is he? Well, he's drawn to the time camera, isn't he? Hmm. And he goes and he takes a phone pick at exactly the same time as another picture comes out, oh. and it's the same as last night's picture, the one of the party. So he's confirmed, really, that this camera is taking pictures into the future. 
free. And meanwhile, on the picture that's just come out, he sees an image of Jasper holding what are obviously racing results. <laughs> and in the background, there's a painting on Finn's normally untouched wow. canvas. Wow. Okay. Great for his creative juices. So suddenly, yeah, he, he has inspiration from himself, apparently, in the future. So inevitably, Jasper's, you know, hooked onto the money spinning element of this, just as they did in the Japanese movie, is that, of course, you know, you could make yourself a little bit of money on the side. If you, you know, play it safe, don't make yourself too noticeable. You could put some money on the stock market or on the horses or greyhounds if you want to and uh, make a bit of money. I don't think betting with a book is the best way to go, is it? I think the stock market would be a much less kind of visible, under-the-radar way to make a bit of money with this. Yeah, your bookie is soon going to notice. And get annoyed. If you're you're winning every time. (laughs) Plot spoiler, something like this is about to happen in the movie, but there we go. Finn, meanwhile, is over the moon with the idea that he's now got inspiration, creative juices are flowing from the future. But they've all realised, in order to keep using the camera, they have to conceal the fact that Gimli is dead. (laughs) <laughs> well, it's a really well-sealed door wherever, wherever, you know, in the lockup. So no smell seems to be emanating from the lockup. True. No one can smell, smell it. And he does That's seem to be fine. desiccated. He looks a bit like an Egyptian mummy, doesn't he? He does, yeah. So the idea is they're going to pretend that he's still around. <laughs> they're going to, like, tidy all the newspapers off his doorstep and that kind of Get thing. Get rid of his parking tickets. This is where they're talking about this idea that you can't deviate from what's depicted in the pictures. Yeah. And Callie's thinking that's why Mr. B is dead. Their goal now is to become rich and get loads of paintings made. Uh, Jasper copies down the race results, actually from his picture, interestingly. That is weird, isn't it? It is really weird, yeah. And Finn does his painting based on what you can see in the picture. Callie drives away. She's got a classic old car, hasn't she? Like a proper 70s-style motor. Yeah. Jasper wins loads of money and he tapes the results up to the window so the camera will be able to see it. And then I think we see, like, there's like a montage, isn't there? Like four more days or something of them getting more winnings and stuff. (laughs) Uh, And paintings being done and that kind of stuff. There's a big stack of money by the end of it, isn't there? There is a security guard on this compound. Mm -hmm. And he's popped his head around once or twice, hasn't he? Yeah. Finn tells him, because they he'd been wondering that the old man is in hospital. I'm not sure how that's going to pan out in the long term, though. Is it? That's a lie that might expose him. Uh, I mean, if you just said he didn't know where he was, then that's plausible deniability. Ah, but he's seen them knocking around that his house. You see. Ah. He said, "I saw you go in. I've seen. I've seen. I've seen her go in too. I've seen your girlfriend go in." Oh, so they have to have a pretext. For yeah. Going in, what you're doing in his flat? He's a little bit suspicious that he's like, "Well, he's in hospital. We're just looking after it." You know, paying paying the bills, keeping things ticking over. And it seems to sort of allay any suspicions. We see them later in the camera room, and Callie shows up in this hot, short red dress. She's looking like, like I presume she just bought a new dress, and she's looking a million dollars. And I think Jasper is teasing Finn about an engagement ring for Callie. They look at the next picture that pops out of the machine, mm. and they see a picture of Jasper and Callie at the window, kissing, yeah. and behind them Finn is, is looking at a painting. Yeah. Suddenly, you know, this relationship crisis, right? And they But they feel bound by destiny to enact it. <laughs> <laughs> Finn is pissed off, you know, he's sullen, unhappy about it. They, they act it out, so Jasper and Callie are sitting in, in the front kind of thing. I don't think Callie was so that he's into like, it. Don't kiss for too long, whatever you do. But he gets lost in his painting, doesn't yeah, he? Yeah, so they carry on kissing. And they get carried away. Finn gets angry. Uh, and then they see the next pick. This time... Which one was it? The next pick is where is it, Jasper's is in the room. Skull and crossbow. Uh, no, maybe. No. But Jasper's in the room with his bucky, Ivan, who's turned up and he's in their place. And he's obviously very concerned because this is a dangerous guy, this bucky. Again... Bound by the destiny of the picture, Jasper has to call Ivan to get him to come here so that he can be in the picture. <laughs> Reluctantly, you know, he does so. And I was like, what the hell are you ringing me for? Ah, 
So Jasper's like, well, I was gonna. I'm not. It's okay. I don't want to place any bets. I'm just gonna lay off the bets for a few days because obviously he's been winning. Yeah. And uh, and then immediately his bookie's now suspicious. Well, what the hell are you ringing me for then? And of course, this forces him to come round and pay a visit. So Jasper's getting keyed up before Ivan turns up, and he's like, he's got a baseball bat and he's kind of rehearsing, like which he puts him. behind the sofa somewhat stupidly on in view. Oh uh, yeah, he leans it up. Yeah, doesn't he next to the door? Mm. Okay, so this is okay. So the, the book is going to turn up now. A house call by any kind of guy from a casino or a bookie not be a good thing. Quite so. Yeah, Finn and Callie are pissed off somewhere to leave him to his fate. Effectively, and I think <laughs> they, they go snogging, don't they? Well, Ivan. Well, I think Finn's got a nice one liner to this. You got a phone. You got a phone message, Paul. It's not. It's my charger. Uh, uh, Finn's got a nice one liner to this. Yeah, because uh, when uh, Jasper is snogging his girlfriend, Jasper says to him, uh, "Oh, we've got to do it. You know, we've got to do it for the, uh, got to do it for the photo." And then these two disappear, and Jasper's like, "Why are you running away when this guy's turning?" And they're like, "Well, we're not in the photo. We've got to do it for the photo, kind of." Thing. <laughs> and then they kind of disappear out the house. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Ivan turns up. He's very menacing, isn't he? Talking with Jasper. Whoa! I really like the tongue shift here. <laughs> I don't know who plays him, but he's really, really threatening. He also wears a mean hat, doesn't he? I think I, mm. I, I'm imagining that. So he says, you know, back in the day, I used to be the Enforcer. Yeah, I used to. The... Jason Spizak. I name. used to be the Enforcer. He's got, a, he's got, a, he's got a hoodlum that comes around with him. He's got a heavy that comes around. With him. I used to. He does, yeah. I used to have a special one. Didn't get. Had a baseball bat. This kind of thing, and uh, you know, the tension is palpably rising in the room. I just thought it was lovely, the lovely changing tone here. The sense that everything at this point is going to start going. He says, there's only one thing worse than a guy who can't make good on bets. That's a guy who never loses. Looks, meaningfully, into Jasper's soul. He starts smashing things up. He goes to smash one of uh, the paintings. But Jasper, at this point, is desperate. And he says that he's got a source, that he'll cut him in. And I think he suggests riding his bets. Presumably yeah. means betting in the same way he bets. And the book is, I know what the fuck riding bets means. That he gets out of there, presumably with the idea of going along with Jasper's At this point, I think they're interrupted. Callie barges in with the next pick. Yes. And that's it. The picture shows Callie posing nude for Finn while somebody's outside spying on them, which she presumes is Jasper. So she's furious and she throws the picture at him. Mm-hmm. But this is all under under Ivan's eyes, isn't it? That's right. Later, Callie's wondering how Finn gets her to pose nude. And they've sent Jasper away. And she gets nude and they start painting. But outside, we see that it, it wasn't Jasper looking at them, caught in silhouette in the camera. It actually was Ivan. And his heavy Marcus has got Jasper captive outside there. And Ivan obviously wants to see the camera now that he's kind of figuring stuff out. He says, you know, it could be anybody's silhouette, but when it's your silhouette, you just kind of recognise that it's you in the photo. And he recognises that he's the guy staring in on. Yeah. yeah. And he says, well, I went to where that was, and wow, there's a really big camera in there kind of stuff. So he's kind of discovered stuff. Uh, they could have, tried, I think, tried to spin it out, but they kind of just confess, don't they? Well, Jasper is desperate, and he's explaining to him that she uses a picture every night at eight. And Ivan points out that on the wall, there's a bunch of daytime pictures. But if it's only triggering at 8pm, how can there be? It's interesting. That night, the picture shows three of them on the couch, looking kind of sullen. And again, there's loads of race results taped up on the window. And Ivan offers them a 5% share of the winnings only. That's right. I mean, Jasper had asked for 50, hadn't he? But he wasn't going to get. Ivan keeps the photo... And puts them under house arrest, essentially. He says, you guys are going to stay here. You're going to religiously, you know, take those photos every day yeah. and get a copy to my to my heavy. Because Finn can't see the painting on the picture, he's back to having painters block. I don't know why. He's got plenty to paint now, hasn't he? You'd think you'd have some idea. <laughs> All kinds of things he could paint. Finn threatens to destroy the camera because he thinks it's obviously causing them a lot of pain and heartache, which it is, mm-hmm. to be fair. It is. Next day, uh, Jasper sneaks a pic of the picture with his phone so that he can give it to Finn. And I think that's the one possibly with the skull on it. 
And it, uh. I think they say it looks really rushed. And Jasper thinks that a picture of a skull is obviously a warning. Well, he'd be right. He's getting ready for violence, isn't he? So they prepare a hammer under the couch and a knife in the couch cushion. Yeah, they hide weapons all over the place, don't they? And a golf club above one of the door frames. So Ivan and Marcus show up, start menacing again. Ivan threatens Callie's hand with a mandolin. About what? What does he want to get out of them? I think he's just... Is he just thinking that they're hiding something from him? or He wants the whole truth. Anyway, somebody's clever, and it's Jasper that's clever. He says, wait a minute, wait a minute. You won't want to do that. Yeah. Is it Jasper, is it Finn? I think it's Jasper. It's Jasper, yeah. He says, you don't want to do that because you haven't seen tomorrow's photo. Yeah. He says it shows Ivan's murder at the hands of his heavy Marcus. You've got to go see him. And of course, what does Ivan do? He runs across to get the photo. Yeah. Because it's virtually eight o'clock, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. And Jasper's telling Marcus that Ivan's going to kill him when he comes back. Jasper ambushes Ivan as he comes back. And I think they both wind up killing both of them, don't they? Yeah, uh, he's killed the heavy beforehand because he says when he comes back or when he's over there, he's going to shoot you. You better move over close to where I am instead. Mm. Get out the line of fire and then bludgeons him with whatever weapon he's got hidden. He's got a right violent streak, hasn't he, Jasper? Yeah, but also a kind of primal masculine quality that I think is somehow impressing Callie. Is it not also that he's taking too many drugs? Is that perhaps why he loses control? Potentially, yeah. In any event, they put the bodies in storeroom eight along with Gimli. <laughs> Jasper takes Ivan's gun from him. Now this mortal threat is causing a real rift with our couple, certainly. The next picture is showing all of Jasper's money laid out on the table. He knows he has to go and get all of his money, which Ivan had taken from him. So he has to go to Ivan's to get it back. Whoa. Callie is feeling, as you say, that Jasper saved her life. And at this point... A brand new character shows up uh, called Dr. Heidecker and she pulls a gun when she sees Mr. Mr. B's hat on the stand that they, t- they picked Jasper it up. Jasper had appropriated it, yeah. And she assumes that they've done something with Gimli. She's a doctor of some sort, you know, Mr. B was presumably a Dr. B, wasn't he? Okay, very educated people. So she is amenable to, to them explaining the situation and she seems to believe them. Well, they show her the body. She explains that she's got a letter from him with an image showing uh, a picture of their lounge with his hat on it, in it, I think on the hat stand, and blood on the window. They're amazed because that hasn't happened yet. But she's saying, well, it's not just necessarily a day ahead. It could be, you know, from in the future from a week ago or more. And she believes them mainly because uh, they're fearing that she's going to think... They killed Mr. B, but she's like, no, 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 no. He's obviously just been poisoned. Yeah, she points out that there's some canisters of chlorine gas. I don't know why. Is it chlorine? Mm -hmm. Maybe you use it for swimming pools or something. But anyway, apparently he'd reached up and tried to get it from the shelf and had fallen down. And desiccated himself or burnt, fell from the inside out. So she's she's a very rational, uh, cold, cool-thinking kind of person. She says, yeah, you know, I... I understand it's an accident, okay. Uh, What can we do now? Well, Jasper just shoots her, doesn't he? Yeah. He's strung out and paranoid. So Jasper's doing his own little sort of Lord of the Flies thing now, isn't he? He is. He's gone, he's gone off the rails. He's gone Colonel Kurtz. He poses for the money pick with all the money out on the table. Sweating and kind of bleary-eyed and obviously drug-addled. And Callie is again shocked by the next day's pick, which she reveals is a pick of her fucking with Jasper while Finn... Yeah, quite, this is quite vigorous, uh, Coitus. Whilst <laughs> Finn is comatose in the background? On the couch in the background. Dead, maybe? Question mark? Oh. Who knows? Finn is wanting to leave anyway, but Jasper knocks out Finn, ties him up, puts him in the storeroom. Leaves him for dead, but not really. Just locks him up, turns the lights out. Yeah. And Finn is presumably stuck in there forevermore until Jasper sees it upon him to have mercy and let him out. But Finn kind of digs a bit of resourcefulness from deep down, doesn't he? Well, he, he, ah, he develops yeah. a tenacity now. More, moreover, yeah, he he remembers that the picture uh, uh, that he painted that was in the background of the canvas, yeah, a distraction as it were from the fucking scene, was a picture of a gas canister. Yeah, 
that's some kind of clue to him. And he finds the keys on Gimli, the, the corpse, so he can escape the storeroom with those keys. Yeah, how did the pa- how did the painting allow him to realise that? I don't I think this is the bit I really didn't get in the movie. I think it's indicating to himself a mnemonic or a memory device or something. I think it's indicating to himself that this is where he's going to wind up, so that in the future he can make sure. uh, Yeah, I'm not sure. It made sense to me when I watched the film. I'm not sure it does anymore. Well, this is before he draws it, isn't he? Because I mean, he's going to draw this. He's going to have to draw it. Yeah. So he's going to have to draw it. So he knows he can get out. So maybe that prompts him to think, Ah, I must get out of here. What he does, though, is he goes and fills a bucket of water. He takes it over to the camera, and then he calls... I wasn't convinced by this, but it's interesting. He calls Jasper on the phone, tells him to look through the window, and he says, I'm about to drop this bucket of water on the camera, which will destroy it, we presume. Yeah, you know, I thought... I mean, it, it is strong typing here, but I thought... I generally thought that Finn would have stepped up his violence and fighting sort of grunting man game. And gone over and confronted Jasper unawares and hit him on the back of the head and killed him. But he's terrified of committing murder, even when, you know, he's like in the moral, there's moral justification for doing it. You know, I mean, Jasper is now a multiple murderer, isn't he, essentially? And he's obviously dangerous. I like the the typecasting in the sense that, you know, Finn's going to back out from doing the most straightforward way, using the most straightforward methods to get to accomplish what he's trying. So this kind of, it's a bit wishy-washy the way he tries to get Jasper to put his weapon down. And I don't think Jasper would have really bought it. You know, he's got the money. I, uh, I think he would have said, go on then, you know, bust that camera up, I'm still going to kill your girlfriend. I, I didn't entirely buy it is what I'm saying. Jasper takes Callie at gunpoint, doesn't he, whilst this yeah. is happening. On the phone, Finn tells Callie to remove an object from Jasper's hoodie, mm. which... Jasper had taken from him while they were struggling earlier. It was the engagement ring that he got. So this is really the most awkward proposal imaginable, mm. <laughs> where Kelly's taking the engagement ring out of the guy holding a hostage. <laughs> uh, but anyway, Finn comes back from the camera room, the camera flat. Knocks the shit out of Jasper. Jasper's about was to a really good struggle. Finn with a hammer. Kelly whacks Jasper over the head with his own crystal ball. Which is hilarious. Nice, nice. That's a nice, nice touch. Yeah. Uh, but now they realise that the photo has changed. Surely they can't complete the photograph. Except, except we find out this is later a ruse. Finn realises he has to paint that gas canister, and he has to do it so that Mister Mister B Gimli, so that he's in there with the keys when Finn needs to find them. But in in hindsight, I no longer understand that. <laughs> Presumably it's be- no. Presumably because we know that Gimli is using this to see far into the future, so he might have seen this picture a week ago before he died. I don't know. Potentially. It doesn't make any sense now. Anyway, he realises, though, that this hasn't changed anything because he's drawing the painting. If the future has changed because, because Jasper has now been killed or knocked out by a crystal ball... Where's the change picture come from? And he then sees mm. Callie hiding a picture in a bathroom drawer. Yeah. He roundabout confronts her, doesn't he? And plenty of pictures spill out onto the bathroom. He then gets up and he sees Callie at the window with notes pinned up, but it's like in the morning, not in the evening. The flash goes off. And now yeah. we have a flashback to when Callie originally went to see Gimli's flat. Uh, and she saw a pic of herself telling herself on a on a note to knock the rack over and not to tell anybody. Wow. So she's, all through this week, she's been using the 8am pictures. To send, Picking them up. To send messages Getting back up to early. herself, effectively. Getting up early. Uh, being sneaky all about. Because clearly she's knowing- the only one who gets up early, right? She has a job. Finn's yeah. not going to get up early because he's an artist. And Jasper's definitely not going to go, get up early. So neither of them realise that it's actually every 12 hours that the picture is going off. And she's been hiding photos that have been going on for some time of her and Finn. Sorry, her and Jasper having an illicit affair. And she told herself to kiss Jasper for too long. 
and to kiss Finn in the car and to model for him and then to pretend not to forgive him. She's really happy with manipulativeness, isn't it? Really happy with Finn that he fought for her against Jasper. He kind of lost, though, didn't he? He only saved himself because she came, hit Jasper on the head with, with a crystal ball. So. It's not a very f- flattering portrayal of, f- of a female, is it, when she's made out to be so manipulative. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, Finn wants to destroy the machine, but Callie wants to send a note back to herself to tell her not to do all of this, not to let Finn see her at the window. She wants to change the past, so this never happened, effectively. We've now changed, haven't we, from a situation where they're kind of trapped in their destiny and forced to repeat it, to where they're actively trying to change their own past. Would that mean that they don't exist anymore? I don't know, but she she shot him dead and him dead, doesn't she? There's two guys dead on the floor. That's right. She's had to stop Finn from destroying the machine. But as she does this, as she writes on the window with the the note... The old security guard comes walking past. He's been promoted to be a police officer. He's a cop he? now, because that's what happens to security guards, obviously. <laughs> and the cop sees the blood on the window and the note saying, don't get caught at the window. <laughs> so he's a little bit suspicious and knocks on the door, as a cop would do. As she is being dragged away by the cop, the note, which was poorly adhered to the window, falls off and then the picture flashes and so we know there's no message to be sent back to Callie in the past. Wow. So she can't possibly change her fate. And that is the end of Time Lapse. Wow. Okay, intricate plotting. Yeah. Intricate. And, and, and intricate. a plot hole or something I haven't followed there has gone on. Yeah, there was something I didn't follow you explained to me. No, I tried to explain it, but I can't, I can't now understand. Oh, okay. That's the bit I didn't get. So two things. One, how did he get out of that uh, basement? I think it was supposed to make sense, but they haven't really communicated that clear enough. And two, I wasn't really convinced that Finn wouldn't really up the stakes in terms of Captain Caveman when he got angry. Oh, you're rooting for Finn, aren't you? You're really holding a torch Yeah, I mean, because he stayed a wimp right till the end, didn't he? (laughs) You know, he just needed to go to the Mel Gibson School of Acting and and, and Deportment, I think, and... Just find his inner raging beast. Now, what were the clues that tell us this is Canadian? Well, the home furnishings were very nice. <laughs> and the fact the uh, neighbourhood kind of didn't feel American. I was thinking, that doesn't feel like America. Uh, so those are clues for me. But what was the actual clue, Richard? What was the definitive clue? Then? They used the word post for mail. Did they? And they used the word ring for telephone. Whoa. Yeah. There we go. What do Americans say? The telephone is sounding? Call, I guess. I don't know. The telephone is calling? I guess they say it's ringing, but you don't ring somebody. Exactly. You don't ring somebody in America. You You call call someone. somebody. Call. I'll call you. Right. There we go. So it was Canadian. Wow. Okay. So I don't know where we begin when we kind of try to appraise this. We begin with the acting, don't we? Loved it. Oh. Jasper, I thought, was so strong in, in becoming unhinged, in being a very dark but ultimately handsome kind of uh, anti-hero. <laughs> uh, his behaviour was very handsome, wasn't it? Okay, he, at no point did he flinch. I mean, he was terrified of the Bucky, but rightly so, that was adrenaline. Okay, but he never really stepped back from taking action when action needed to be taken, and even when it didn't need to be taken. So unhinged, wild, but somehow, you know, very impressive in his guess you might say, sort of degraded and depraved bravery. I liked Callie. I thought she was good. Yeah. Played by Danielle Panabaker. And the thing is, you would never suspect, you know, that, pl- that plot twist at the end, you don't suspect. She's so True. Yeah, she's so sort of sweet. Yeah, she's failed. Yeah, she's had vigorous coitus with, uh, you know, the, the lodger. But you don't suspect her of being so manipulative. And it's always quiet ones that are always still waters run deep. <laughs> uh, so for acting... I mean, also, let's not forget John Rhys-Davis. As a cadaver. Possibly the well, finest, his finest performance of his career. Who knows? As, could, as, could have been as, amazing. As a modelled, mummified model of, a cadaver, of his cadaver, yeah. yeah. So. It's like a voiceover without a voiceover, isn't it? <laughs> so, I will give it a seven for acting. Finn, I thought, was great. You know, I loved 
his constancy, his loyalty is kind of almost puppy dog, puppy dog loyalty. But this slightly craven timidity. Oh, it was all really, really well woven. And so I'm going to give it an eight and a half for acting. I thought it was actually superlative. Mm, okay. Uh, so we've got to talk about the plot, the dialogue. I love the plot. Oh. I loved it. Really? Uh, yeah. I thought this was the way to be slightly thoughtful about, you know, time conundrums and time paradoxes. Whilst having a rip-roaring kind of uh, thriller here, I loved the pivotal change in tone that happened halfway through. It was desperately menacing. You know, it was it was great. It's it, was, got... it was time travel and crime thriller all thrown into one. Yeah, it's a little bit kind of film noir isn't it? It is. But I loved it. I loved that change. Because it's quite light for the first 35 minutes, isn't it, or so? Yeah, it has certain elements of like a, a knockabout time travel thing to start with. Yeah. But then it quickly gets dark as you find it. And I love that. I love that pivot there. It's great. I don't usually score the plot so high, but I'm going to give it a nine. A nine. That's really high for something that may have a glaring, a glaring plot hole. Don't care. That's the well. That's the minus one for me there. I'm going to give it a seven again. It's, it's above average. I think mm-hmm. it's nice. You could do this on a stage play quite easily because again, yep. it's a very limited uh, location thing, isn't it? There's only one flat for most of it. But that's only going to work with taught writing. I thought the writing was taught yeah, enough sure. to carry it through. Agreed. Agreed. Do we have a category for? Time travel conundrums, time paradoxes, grandfather paradox. Mm. Spendthrift techniques to presenting science fiction. Oh well, budgetary constraints on the on the uh, performing under a budget. How how would you score it for that? Well, they synthesised a load of uh, Polaroid photographs, didn't they? There's some bloody fight scenes. Yeah, some really good fight scenes. And a cadaver of dubious. Uh, Accuracy, so I'll give it a I'll give it another seven here. It's a nine for me. I thought they did oh. really well. Loved it. You're yeah, all Super. on board for this. I'm glad. glad Finally, I time tra- ti- time traveliness. This is good. It's I think it's strongest here because of the constraints that they put on it, like mm-hmm. the one picture a day or two pictures a day, whatever. Yeah, clever. The very gradual way that the characters, as well as the audience, explore this idea of whether or not you can break with. What's depicted? I think it's, uh-huh. I think it's really clever. So I will give this an eight. We give it a seven. Okay. Uh, there are bits where I thought it didn't really carry itself. It could have done with a bit more special effect, just a little more pizzazz, just to allow that uh, uh, illusion, suspension of disbelief, kind of stuff. Okay. Uh, but generally, I thought it carried very well. Overall, for me, this one has to be a nine. I, superb. I loved it to bits. Really, really impressed. Definite, definite recommend. It would be weird if I didn't give it a seven, but I might give. Yeah, I'll give. I'll stick with seven. I think it, it it's above average. Yeah, definitely worth it. Worth a look. Well, I really enjoyed it. I was riveted all the way through, uh, and uh, yeah, couldn't literally put it down. So thank you for that one, Richard. Let's try like more of the same. Let's, yeah, let's okay. try and do the same again. Looking okay. at the list of most wanted as it were uh-huh. uh more time travel so one i suggested last week i think or you suggested even was deja vu with denzel washington whose son was in the best time travel movie ever in my opinion certainly of recent years would that be tenet richard that would that would be tenet but that's choice one deja vu deja vu okay what else are you going to throw my way a comedy how about we go lighthearted called oh. The history of future folk. Is it time travelly? Well, they're from the future, so I presume so. But I don't. Wow. Know. Okay. Oh, do you have well, any any like random horror movies that you want to watch? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Spoil your sequencing. No, I'm going to chill, chill my chops, not say anything about that, and uh, allow Richard's eight to eight state MIDI film sequencing to continue unabated. I'm going to hit hit. Uh, on the history of future folk button because I feel I like the idea of time travel and comedy all bundled into one bite-sized lump. Oh boy. Okay. There we go. Don't forget, we've got some extracurriculars to do. We've got a bit of prep to do. Uh, Something called, I keep forgetting it. Kung Fury. Kung Fury. Okay. And you now have to watch the third Bobby Fingers YouTube video. Of Bobby's fingers. I don't know where he's buried that third finger. Well, I've got to tell you that all the dioramas 
so far have been found already. So it's pointless looking for the G- GPS coordinates, hmm. but it's still worth watching the video. And until the next time, thank you for listening when we'll be reviewing the history of future folk. Do join us for episode 34. Ciao for now. See you on the next one. Goodbye. Bye-bye. Thank you.